Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. It's Stagwaddy game. I'm going to go first. Go Shall on. I go first? Because uh, this one is nominated uh, by a listener, by Phil T- Phil Porter, um, who sent in the suggestion. And you haven't seen this, and I've tinkered with it a tiny little bit. But anyway. Go on, try me. The thing about Stagwaddy game is you kind of have to know your opponent, really, a bit. It has to be tailored, doesn't it? It's got to be a bit tailored. Anyway, Phil had the splendid idea of uh, rock stars and their dogs, okay? Oh, that's good. Rock stars and dogs is such a good idea. Okay, here come five, and one of them's not real. All right, go on. Lady Gaga has a dog called Asia. Yep. Neil Young had a dog called Rover. Yep. Beyonce had a dog called Munchie. <laughs> Pink had a so dog plausible. called Pink yep. had a dog called Elvis. Yep. 50 Cent had a dog called Oprah. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. those are great. Are Rover, I'm fairly sure is is real. I'm fairly sure that's real. And it's kind of arch and ironic, isn't it? Beyonce's Munchie is brilliant. That's exactly what you call a dog. As is Elvis from Pink. Um, Lady Gaga's Asia. That's yes, opera. That's a tricky one. It's between it's between Lady Gaga and uh, and Fifty Cent. And you're going to choose one. I'm going to say that Asia is the made up name. Not true. Okay, go on. Lady Gaga has a bulldog called Asia. Beyonce has a Shih Tzu called Munchie. Pink has a bulldog called Elvis. 50 Cent has a Schnauzer called Oprah. But Neil Young does not have a dog. Oh, right, OK. Oh, I completely fished in. That's really good. Uh, I fished you in It's plausible. It's utterly plausible. So well done to Phil Porter for sending from. uh, I got one from Patrick Crowther, another listener, actually. Patrick Crowther in Lucha. In Tuscany, which I thought was really good, and I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to launch this one at you, Dave. This is five Nigerian high life musicians. Oh, okay, it's good. It's good. One of these isn't real. Doctor <laughs> Sir Warrior. 
Ebenezer Opie. That's real. Fat Eye Rolling Dollar. How <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good are they? Flavor Nabania. Oh, good grief. And Triple G. Oh, I'll give you those again. Dr. Yes. Warrior, Ebenezer Obi, Fat Eye Rolling Dollar, Flavor Nabania, and Triple G. I've no They're idea. Great, no, they wonderful uh, Ebenezer Obi, I know is real. Uh, Fat Eye Rolling Dollar, I'm going to pick. Okay, no, no, he's real. The great man is real. No, the one that's made up is Triple G, which is in fact a Nigerian manufacturer of computer stationery. <laughs> that's really good, isn't it? Very good. Who's Thank that you one? very much to Patrick Crow. That's brilliant. Anybody Thanks. listening who's got yeah. a, a, a stat waddy up there up their sleeve, please send them in. They're really, that, really fun. Those are really good. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Did you see? I don't know if you saw this yesterday. Uh, that Tony Glover, who was one of Bob Dylan's old mates from um, university days back in Minnesota, was he? Yeah, there? I remember. I Talk of him, yeah. Um, uh, he died last year, and his widow has just sold um, his treasury of uh, of Dylan. Uh, well, it's more than memorabilia. I mean, this is extraordinary stuff. Um, you know, handwritten letters from 1964, 65 in real real detailed letters you know and and long taped conversations from various points in his career uh she's just um there's, there's been sold at auction for i think it's just under half a million dollars I, d- I don't know if the market for that kind of stuff is is slightly down at the moment or up i have no idea at all um but it's it, it's really interesting because it makes you think of that period you know, pre-fame Bob Dylan, uh, when all those guys all met at the, at the University uh, of Minnesota, and the, there was Tony Glover, and there was uh, Paul Nelson, who was it was the guy who went on to be a kind of A and R man and was involved with Rod Stewart and David Bowie and all sorts of people. But you know, there was, there was obviously a group of those guys who were into all that stuff, and one of them became Bob Dylan, which is just. You know, which then affects the lives of all the other ones who were not Bob Dylan, doesn't Completely. it? For the for the rest of their lives, you know. And I think he, he he probably maintained very good relations with them, you know. And he certainly he certainly gave Tony Glover a lot of his time. And I just I thought it was exceptional because normally in those situations, normally when you have those little teenage or childhood or student groups. The one who dies is the rock star. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones who live to a ripe old age uh, are the ones yeah, it's who eating health there. food and jogging and <laughs> generally looking after themselves. And if you think what how Dylan caned it in his youth, and <laughs> Just, here he is about to be 80, isn't he? Amazing. Is that what it is? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just, I, it just made me wonder whether I've got. Uh, half a million dollars worth of uh, correspondence from a rock star or anything like that that I could I to tell my wife about for when I turn my toes up. Turn your toes up. That yeah. she could da- go down the uh, go down the, the auction house. Have you got anything like that? God, I don't think I have really, no. I've got a few a few autographs up in the roof. I've got a Michael Jackson autograph somewhere. Yeah. But I mean, are these things really worth a lot of money? Probably not. You know. Well, the interesting I, thing for me is I wonder how Dylan felt about that because there must be part of you that thinks, Oh, that, you know, very private letter I wrote to him, then I'd like to keep private. But then there's probably another part of you who thinks that's so great that my old pal 
assuming they still have a cordial relationship, is going to, go, you know, his family well, is going to get some money yeah, out of it. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Their family going to get some money out well, of it. Well, the widow is no doubt thinking, well, I don't know what to do with it. You know, <laughs> probably, I, I don't know, what would you do in these cases? You go to the estate, you go to Bob Dylan and say, do you want these? <laughs> Do you want to buy them off me? Yes, that's true. Otherwise, I'll, you know. Yeah. Or you find an academic buyer or a library or something like that. that yeah. That that could use them. So it's difficult yeah. to know whether they got she got a good deal. Or she didn't, no, the quantity no, of the stuff we haven't read it, but it's no, it really interests me that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, letters from anybody famous that have any indication of their character, if they're formal letters and uh, don't reveal much about them. They're not really worth very much. But if they have some indication of what they're like and what they're thinking, some idea of their characteristics at the time, they've got a huge value. That's well, they, they, these they, these have a lot of lot of material in them. There's a big piece in Rolling Stone about them, which is quite interesting. I recommend it to any any Dylan fans. I, I'm sure they found it um, they found it already. Um, Did you follow the George Clooney story? Well, this That's is related, a, isn't it? George, yeah. Clooney, George Clooney, amazing. There's a piece in GQ, really good piece. Uh, interviewing George Clooney, and he reveals that in, I think it was 2013 or whatever it was, um, soon after the film Gravity had come out, and he was in Gravity. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was a bit of a kind of risky kind of cult thing, and they never thought it was going to be successful. And so they didn't give him the standard fee. They gave him a kind of royalty, a percentage. And, of course, it was a huge success, so he made a lot of money out of it. And what he decided to do was he had, I think it was 12 or 14, 14 old pals who looked after him. And George Clooney wasn't successful till quite late on. I mean, he didn't really come into the frame till in, maybe in his 30s, I think. So he spent a lot of time kind of bumming around. He said he was sleeping on people's sofas and borrowing money off them. And they were just his really good mates. He wanted, always wanted to pay them back. And decided what he was going to do was to give them each a million dollars in cash a million dollars in cash. So he found out how you do this. There was a warehouse that could supply the million dollars. He got two security guys. They rented a van, a florist's van, so it wouldn't draw any attention to itself. Went down to this warehouse and they fought, these people forklifted pallets with the allotments of $1 million. He drove them up to his house, he invited all these guys around for lunch and then announced that he got this cash. I just couldn't think, I didn't know what I felt about that because I mean, that is, it's some, obviously it's fantastic, it's great that he gave him the money, but also it's unnecessarily flash, isn't it? And also it's a bit awkward to be given that in cash. I mean, it is, yes. <laughs> then go home in your car with a million dollars in the boot, trembling all the way. That, you, oh, know, you see, because, oh, God, <laughs> it's a movie. It really is a movie in itself, that it is, is, isn't it? You it know, is. The gift. Because how many? 14 guys. 14 yeah? guys. And they're all guys, are they? Yeah, all okay. guys, yeah. I'm wondering if one of them, when he went home, didn't tell his wife. Oh, God, that's good. It's oh, just got to be one of them, hasn't there? Yeah, just sorting no. something. I'm just carrying something to the garage. Be with you in a minute. <laughs> yeah, spend it all on booze and <laughs> gambling. I'm suggesting... Well, it's God, cash. It is I'm cash, going, so he doesn't I'm have to go, go into I'm a bank I'm going to go further with this, Mark. So one of them doesn't tell his wife. One of them doesn't go home at all. <laughs> <laughs> what if they've just out of oh, it 14, is a movie out of 14 you know what I mean it is a movie that's it's it it is a movie one of them takes George aside afterwards or rings later and says this is very generous of you but actually if you remember 
I did a lot more for you than Fred over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stayed yeah. on my couch. And by the way, you slept with my girlfriend. Let me just yeah. bring that up, yeah. which he will, he will have done. <laughs> yeah, so that's another $30,000. <laughs> yeah. And so I think... I think I should get slightly more than the rest. You know, that's so I true. I can't believe that fourteen people walk away from a thing like that, going, "Well, that's fair." That's great. absolutely. Uh, fair. That that makes no change to our relationship. You know what I mean? Um, it's you know, it's, it, 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 outside of those fourteen, there's going to be another half dozen who also put him up and you know fed him and lent him money and get anything at all. Absolutely. So how can you win in these circumstances? You can't, you can't at all. Um, no. I mean, uh, he could have given it to charity in their names or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Also, the first thought I had, you know, because anybody who studied the career of singing none, as I have done, knows that the danger of this is you give away all your money from a huge, great windfall hit, and then the tax man comes, comes back it. to bite you in the arse. <laughs> it's because you've got to pay the, the tax on it nasty shot. She got a huge tax bill, didn't she? Which led to terrible circumstances. Oh, really, she was terrible. She'd given away all the money. And then the Belgian tax authorities, whoever it was, so what, you came and this? said, you owe us, you know, half of this, um, you know, this huge, great windfall. One of my favourite tales of this kind of philanthropy is Kimberly Rue of The Waves. Well, yeah. I think you interviewed for word, didn't you, around this time? Kimberly I, I, Rue, who wrote, what well, you know, going down to Liverpool, walking on sunshine, love, shine a light. He had real big hits, huge hits that were used in movies. Sold his catalogue. Well, I mean, he'd done very well out of it. He sold his catalogue to BMG, I think, about, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And then I think either gave the other three members of the Waves a cut in no, the songwriting royalty, or he just gave them a lump sum. But it was a really sweet thing to do. It ended up being a lump sum, <laughs> but he, he did, he cut them in. The big hit was Walking on Sunshine, which still yeah. gets turned out on movies and commercials all the time. Yeah. It... Uh, and he he basically said, okay, uh, I'm going to cut you in for part of the publishing. Um, you know, the other members who made it. Because effectively, for 20 years, what they did was they managed the, the revenue from that one song. And so they... They re-recorded the song in their 40s, I think. That's right. Agonisingly, painstakingly, to make it sound just like the original one. So that when anybody came along and wanted to use the song uh, in a commercial, they said, fine, but you've got to use our version. Because then they got the publishing and they got the record and they, and they got the recording revenue. And so, yeah, later on, they sold it to BMG for a you know, significant sum of money, which they all they all participated in. And, that, and that's great. You know? Really that's, lovely. Uh, it's lovely. Well, you think a, how many instances there must have been of people sitting in a room with the person who got the songwriting royalty, songwriting credit, chipping in with a chord sequence or a lyric or an idea or something, and then feeling aggrieved afterwards that they didn't get any recognition. You know, the band is a really good example. All those songs have been written by, 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 um, by uh, Robbie Robinson. And there's four other people who contributed to their arrangements and indeed sang them, you know, and, yeah. and it's their stamp, it's their signature that makes those songs so fantastic. Um, but he's the guy who wrote the songs. But I think it, it still remains the case, it seems to me, that, that musicians enter the music business without really knowing that whoever wrote the songs is going to make six times as much as you make. 
and that's going to be a problem at some point oh, down God, the road. Oh, God, absolutely. <laughs> unless, you do an circling, REM unless you do an REM or a U2 or a Blur, or whatever, yeah. you all get a, a, a credit, and yeah. that's great. So, you know, so Adam Clayton makes, uh, I think, about a fifth of whatever it is that they, they make collectively in U2. Um, and that's fair enough, and that's presumably why the band's still together. One of the reasons, anyway. It was yeah, definitely. But... It's definitely the case. Um What's your statistic about the Beatles? You've got some amazing statistic about uh, about Love Me Do. You can see it in Mark Lewison's first book about the Beatles. I think it's a footnote. So many of the wonderful things in Mark Lewison's books are in the footnotes. Uh, I don't know if they're very often things he got to know quite late in the day or something. But uh, I think I'm, I'm busking off the top of my head for the figures. But I think Love Me Do, Beatles' first single, not a huge hit, but a hit. And obviously, only in the UK. I think their their royalties as recording artists for the four of them were like twenty five pounds each. Yeah, they got. But the royalties to John and Paul for writing the song were something like three hundred and fifty pounds. So on that, something like that. Yeah. On that basis, you would get seven times as much for writing the song as for being one of the four musicians who played on it. And so it's possible that you take that rule of thumb and still apply it today. You know what I mean? Yeah. That if you've got your name on the songwriting credit, that's that's worth far more. And also it goes on way longer, doesn't it? Because Well, Andrew to- Ridgely is a great example. Andrew Ridgely has, has, I think he's got two credits. One I think is Last Christmas and the cover, which, which the other one isn't it? But he's, it, George Michael very sweetly just gave him half a credit. And I think he's pretty much been able to live under him. He lives with a member of Banana Rama who probably gets some kind of royalties from something or other. But I mean, I don't think he's had to, you know, struggle since. So you can um, live on half a credit of a reasonably, reasonably big song for the rest of your life. And if you have a big song, like a Christmas song, like, you know, we're once more entering Noddy Holder season. Yeah. <laughs> and Noddy just thinks, oh, it'll continue to roll in, you know, because he's, it was it. Are the two of them have got a credit on uh, Merry Christmas, everybody? Yeah, it Noddy, Noddy Helder and Jim Lee. Jimmy Lee, the bass player, that's right. Bass yeah. player. Whereas uh, Don Powell and uh, and Dave Hill. Are just, still, uh, well, were until lockdown. They're still slogging away in, in Slade uh, 2, weren't they? Probably. God, probably. that must cause tension, must not it? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. my God, can you imagine? So talking to Christmas records... They, I noticed Pogues, the it's this, come on. It's, it's this time of year again where, where the question of people people worry about whether they can play the Pogues fairy tale of New York on the radio. And uh, and this year, the, the BBC have, uh, have come up with a kind of, how will we describe it? A kind of tripartite solution, haven't they here? That they've. Well, they're um, allowing the radio, Radio One can only play the edited version. Where instead of you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap lousy faggot, I Say think that it ends with you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's you. You're cheap and you're haggard. It's a version she re-recorded. She re-recorded a, a kind of edited version in '92, so that's the Kirsty McCall vocal. And I think the you're an old slut on junk line has either been erased or bleeped or somehow the word slut doesn't kind of appear. So that's the thing. Radio Two can play the original. And six music can decide. It's up to the DJs. It's such a good story. There's so many interesting bits of this story. One, I think, was that the fragrant uh, Lawrence Fox tweeted his uh, some very aggressive thing about the BBC's um, censorship. 
And he was kind of, you know, thoroughly shooed by the band, wasn't he? For doing so, which I thought was quite interesting because, of course, the band are in favour of being edited. What would they rather have, that the record wasn't played at all mm. on Radio 1 or that they played an edited version? It's a weird situation where you've got the people who wrote the song attacking uh, the bloke who wanted to hear yeah. the original. It's amazing, really. It's interesting that, um, you know, she obviously she died in well, 2000, I think. Yeah. Round about this time of year, wasn't it? It was. Um, uh, so, my God, it's 20 years ago. Yeah. By God. Can we just pause one second to say, Kirsty McCall, my God, she was good. A real talent. Amazing talent. And extraordinary talent. And also, not only just a fantastic singer, but a tremendous, warm and funny, yeah. you know, yeah. personality. And what she, I'd love to know what she'd think about all this. She'd have a very, she's very strongly opinionated. So. Well, yeah. So, she re recorded it in 1992. For top of the pops, yeah, and uh, and you kind, you know, like you remember the the famous case of uh, Ray Davis crossed the Atlantic to to re cherry cola <laughs> to replace the words Coca Cola with cherry cola on that's uh, right on Lolo, and um, but I mean certainly in 1992, even then top of the pops still had extraordinary power, and so. If, you, if the difference, if you know, if all you had to do was change a few words to get on top of the pops, everybody would have changed a few words, wouldn't they, to get on top yeah. of the pops? Because you kind of had no choice. Whereas nowadays, you know, it strikes me life's very different, really. And um, you know, I cannot believe that Radio One, which is supposed to be, which they're always telling us is the is the edgy station that the fifteen-year-olds are all listening to. I cannot believe that Radio One even needs a policy on whether to play Fairy Tale of New York, which was made in what mid eighties. Yeah, you know, all these years later, it's like Radio One in nineteen seventy six having to decide whether it's going to play White Christmas. It's, but it's, aren't they just working back from the the idea of of a controversy? You know, they're just trying to avoid avoid any kind of. Um, any kind of lynch mobs on social media, you know, if if one person was to complain about it, they would have to defend it, but they wouldn't want to have to defend uh, it. So it's like, it's like it's like it's like round the horn. There was an episode of round the horn that was repeated in February, and uh, one person <laughs> one person complained that it was racist, and they they had to to issue a, a sort of an apology. I think say it was a breach of policy. So that it's very very difficult. For them. But uh, I do I do think it's amazing that the indication is that the implication rather is that it's the teenagers who are more sensitive and more easily outraged than the than the kind of the the, the, the Radio Two listeners, which is that, true. But it also it turns it it turns the whole thing on its head. You know that kind of he uh, used to be disgusted of Tunbridge Wells, didn't it? And yeah, it, it is. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. always some colonel with a monocle. It was getting red in the face because something he just heard on the radio. Now it's, you know, kind of um, disappointed of Stoke Newington, isn't it? <laughs> it's 18. It's yeah. 19-year-old. I know. It's just absolutely switch around. But here's my, I mean, generally speaking, I don't think it's a good idea to go back and bowdlerize lyrics, uh, you know, because you're cheap and you're haggard. You know, it's just not as good a line as you cheap as you fag. It's just no, not, nowhere, near. nowhere near as good a, good a line. And this is supposed to be, at some level, art, isn't it? So yeah. art will involve, occasionally, controversial language. It's a fact. 
It's going to have to do. It Otherwise, is. Otherwise, it's going to get, to, whether gonna get really boring if it doesn't. Yeah, so, whether that's movies or books or whatever. This is, the, this is the generation that grew up with with with, with Tarantino movies. Yes. You know, and there's all sorts of words. So they're not shocked by anything. They're not shocked by any of that. They've just, they've just decided what to be shocked by. Well, this is, I suppose this has got a kind of LGBT kind of uh, dimension (laughs) to it. Well, obviously, obviously. And that was kind of the dimension that it was in when it was used initially. You know, it was supposed to be a term of abuse. And, um, but here's my point. I don't think you should change the words of songs or records. Yeah. Um, But if something bothers you, I've got a radical solution. Don't play it. Don't play it. Just don't play it. Yeah. How about that? There are millions of bloody records. You can play something else instead. If it really bothers you, don't play it. How's about that? You don't have to do it, you know. So, uh, is there a panel at Radio One that decides? I, you know, I, does somebody I, go, Delilah? Do we play that? Brown well, under my thumb. Yeah. Hey, Joe. <laughs> kiss, kissing cousins by Elvis Presley. <laughs> well, I've got a gal. She's as cute as she can be. She's a distant cousin, but she's not too distant with me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you'd play. Would you play that? I don't know if you would. Tonight's the night. Walk on the wild side. I don't know. No. Somebody I, I, must be making decisions about it, wasn't it? I, I, it's all post-social media, isn't it? That you have to, you have to avoid the storm in a teacup, don't you? Um, yeah. That uh, that inevitably follows, you know. It, it always amuses me when people talk about uh, the newspaper reports on these things. So and so took to social media. They always yes. say that. I'm yeah. just going off now to take to social media. Yeah, right. You know, I'll put the cat among the pigeons. You this know, this will learn them. So really, it's all the newspapers blowing up whatever is happens in social media, which completely, which has been the case for quite a while, hasn't it? I suppose so. We suppose know this so. is a news story that's already happening, so let's yeah, report it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll keep, we'll keep a weather eye out for that. But meanwhile, the fairy tale of New York is the second best record, Christmas record ever made, isn't it? Which, it oh, God, Lord, it's, a, it's an absolute work of genius. It is. I think it's probably the best. You're, you're suggesting here... <coughs> um, the wonderful Z Records, what was it, Dave, I've forgotten his name now. Dave, David uh, Sigerson. David Sigerson, that's right. It's a big country. We should have to do a, we should have to do a list of uh, the second, ba- I, I always think it'd make a good chart, the second best Christmas records ever made. Uh, don't choose the best one, because, you know, it's kind of obvious, you know, I don't know. But second best is more interesting, isn't it? It is. It makes a more interesting list. So if anybody's got any suggestions. Send them in. Well, for the second best Christmas record ever made, send them in, in time for Christmas. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. OK, we're back, joined by Alex Gold. How are you doing, Alex? Good, I'm all right. Hey, it's a podcast. You can't put your thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> Schoolboy error. Schoolboy error. Did, did did you see that? Uh, well, I only didn't see it on Friday night, but I've caught up with it since this Jazz Six Two Five thing on BBC Four on, uh, know, on Friday night. You're exclusively watching Marvel programs. <laughs> oh, yes, of course you are. Your um, busy schedule, sci-fi. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're doing. Of course, Alex has been doing the Marvel Universe, which is about I don't know about thirty films as a. As a and, then, like and, the, and the series as well. 
Uh, then you've been doing them in actual chronological order according to the chron chronology of the drama. Is that the case? So th there's a whole universe, the whole Marvel universe, and, and I'm doing it, so you can do it in many orders, and, and the order I'm doing it is the chronology of the Marvel universe. So not necessarily release order. So no. like a sub-series yeah. that goes back and, and discovers the origin of, of a character, I'll do that. So last night I finished watching the 22nd episode of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Series 1. And uh, it's great. It's a daily thing, is it? So every day you're you're oh, you're you're completely committed. More of it. Absolutely, I'm, I'm all in. Um, tonight it's. But gone. Jay, Jay, it's funny. Funny you should uh, mention this because Lucas Hare, who's a friend of the pod, who's uh, involved in uh, the, uh, the the excellent Bob Dylan uh, podcast. Is it Rolling Bob? Um, he's he, obviously at a at a loose end during lockdown. He's he's come up with a playlist on Spotify because Spotify has pretty much everything Bob Dylan ever recorded, which includes all the kind of bootleg series and and all that stuff that's come Actually, out. Actually, just a quick tangent. I I also listened to last night the the first ever Bob Dylan album for the first time ever because I'm going through your um, oversexed playlist. Oh right, well there oh, you that's go. really good. I, I, I sat and I listened and it was great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> well anyway, well, well you can now go back to his early stuff, his pre-recording yes, stuff. Because what Lucas what Lucas has done is put together all the Bob Dylan music on Spotify in the order that he recorded it, which is not necessarily the same as the order in which he released it. Because so this is stuff from the 50s, isn't it? Late 50s it starts, presumably? Well, early 60s, possibly. I don't yeah. know. Right through. So you get suddenly get a live track in the middle of a kind of, I don't know, recording desire or whatever. He does, you know, some gig or something or some bootleg or whatever. And it, it's just, it just struck me with, with a catalogue like, like Bob Dylan with so much stuff. You can do it in all kinds of different ways. You can't, can't you? You can shuffle it endlessly, you know. You could probably make a, a list of a hundred song Bob Dylan songs that are based on real life events or something like that, couldn't you? It's just it's just there for you to play with. So uh, you, you could do, do your that. own theme time radio hour about you, Dylan himself, couldn't you? you Precisely. Could, you, you could. And he gets so any, anyway, the, the Friday night jazz six two five uh, thing, which is certainly worth catching up with, is obviously on the BBC iPlayer, is uh, reflective of. Uh, of, a, of a, an upsurge of kind of talent and interest and excitement around um, British jazz, kind of, well, are they jazz musicians? I don't know. They're certainly very informed by jazz and certainly schooled that way or whatever. Playing this, this very open, exciting, warm, inviting music, which are not normally adjectives that you might associate with jazz. I don't, know, I don't know if you'd agree with that. It's uh, very uncomplicated stuff. It's quite conventional, actually, isn't it? Okay, but it, it's just... It, it's not avant-garde. It's, it's, no, not really. But it's it's very warm and, and inviting. And uh, I, I first learned about this about a year ago. I met Nick Logan at a party. Nick Logan, our old colleague on Smash It's and the Enemy, and Nick... Who's Man who launched the face. The face. And yeah. all sorts of things. And so Nick, kind of original mod from the 60s, really. And he was telling me about this, that he'd been going to a series of these gigs. And they tended to be very often in old, in old churches because they were the only spaces that could accommodate the large 
you know, the number of people who wanted to go. And also the fact that these artists like to perform in the round, so you needed a big space in the middle rather than a stage. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I thought when Nick was talking to me about it, and Nick was really animated about it, I thought the same as I thought watching this thing this weekend, which is, this is terrific. What it needs is a name. It does, I'm amazed it hasn't got one because, yeah, because the press, maybe the thing's just not so dependent on the press, but when you were dependent on the press, it was the music press that drove everything, you immediately had to call it New Wave or you Absolutely. had to call it New you know, Romantic. New yeah. Romantic, you had to come up with a name. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. isn't it called New Jazz, NU Jazz? Well, or New uh, Note, Dave, New Note. Blue Jam, New uh, Jam. <laughs> New, new jam, jam today. <laughs> you see, I think it needs a name, and I think there's an interesting debate about whether that name should involve the jazz word or not. We've got acid jazz. But, why not warm jazz? Yeah, it's just you know, it doesn't get you excited. No, no, it doesn't make you think. God, damn, sounds like fun. Whereas if you go, if you go and watch that program and you listen to it, it sounds like it is fun. It's it is terrific, fun. man. You said it's it's yeah. really, it's infectious, you know, it's kind of, it needs some word, some adjective that doesn't involve a musical reference even. It probably ought to get away from that. I'm not suggesting we should come up with the answer here. I'm just saying it made me think. No, it's true, new romantics movement. gave you no idea what it sounded like. It only gave it you no idea what it looked like. It just didn't matter, though, because that just, it, it, Tick the box, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. So it it made the um, you know, it made the idea travel. Yeah. It, it made it so that you know, all these years later, Dylan Jones can write a book about you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, the, it's true. The romantics. Whereas if that word had never come along, you would have to write a book about stuff that happened in Britain in the early eighties. It's not the same, is it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so uh, it's it's certainly worth seeing. Alex, you used to, among your, your many um, previous um, manners, you used to, live in, used to live in Muswell Hill, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I used to be a hillbilly, for sure. I loved it there. It was great. Yeah. And uh, you used to go to Toff's Fish and Chip Shop. Toff's was me local. Only the chips, though. Only <laughs> the um, chips. And the V. Um, did, did you ever pa pass? You probably did, I think. Uh, there used to a music shop called the Les Aldrich Music yeah. Les Aldrich Music Center. You probably went in there to buy guitar strings and things I, like I that. I did actually. That was my reg regular string stop and capos, which I always lose, and you know everything. Right. Like that. Uh, well, I've lived around that kind of area for a long, long time, and uh, and I've found myself thinking over the last ten years. Do you know? I think. Les Aldrich, the Les Aldrich Music Centre, which I remember as a place that always sold musical instruments, all sold sheet music, but also sold records and then sold CDs. I thought, is this the last record shop in North London? Of course, they have uh, records as well, yeah. Well, but I put this to, to our mutual friend, Paul Kramer, who, who used to run a record shop in North London. And he said, well, they don't really sell records anymore. And I had a look on the website and they don't really. I mean, they probably sell a few, but it's mainly musical instruments, whatever. Yeah. So that left me thinking, and I've been thinking about it all weekend, are there no record shops left in the whole of North London? 
because we and and are there any? Do you mean from a particular era or, or just well, generally? Well, I don't know. You probably can't. I mean, I don't. If I was wanted to buy a record, and I'm living in N14, and I wanted to set off to buy a record from where I am. Now I know it's lockdown and all that, so it's exceptional circumstances. How far would I have to go? I would. I'd, I'd have to go an awful long way. Yeah. And I'm in London. I'd have to go in the West End. Yeah, you'd go to Sister Ray in Soho or somewhere like that, wouldn't you? That's that's. I, the suppose, I suppose so. Well, yeah. I mean, because the you know, HMV's gone from the West End. Obviously, they you know the the, the chain still operates in other in other parts of. Of the country, I don't so, see the HMV as a, as a music store anymore. I, I I just don't make the association in my head. I I view it as a place to buy get games or band T-shirts, but I wouldn't go there to buy music. <laughs> so I'm particularly thinking about this at this time of year, you know, as we get into the festive season. Because I, you know, I used to work in a record shop, and and it was all about Christmas. You know, if you had a good Christmas, that you tied you out. It's like the publishing <laughs> world. It's yeah, it entirely. really was. You know, yeah, yeah. Christmas revolved around suddenly the store was way fuller than it would be even on its busiest days. And uh, in and amongst the people who were buying records to, you know, that they always wanted was would be a, a succession of very often um slightly bewildered looking older Aunts women. And uncles. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, buying record tokens. Would come in, well, either for record tokens or they'd or the, come in list bit yeah. of paper. You know, have you ever heard of this before? You know, and uh, and so you'd have to give them the you know blue oyster cult and steely dam and God knows what they wanted for their nephew and whatever, because presence was such a huge part of the music business, gone, totally gone, and so it just it really brought home to me the record shop. I mean, which has never been more celebrated in fiction and myth and film than it is now. Completely. There's never been less represented on the ground. Now, I know there are odd exceptions. I, I understand that. And it's interesting. You should talk about Sister Ray is where you'd go. You know, like that would be the main destination in the West End. Well, it wouldn't have been 30, 40 years ago. There would have been about fifty different places you could have gone, you know. Well, I used to work in a, in a record shop in Stratford upon Avon when I was just out of school, and uh, it was V Shop, and it got taken over by Sanity, which is then the kind of the Australian HMV. Uh, but we had HMV across the road. We used to do that Wild West thing where we used to sort of stare at each other outside the door every morning. Let's <laughs> <laughs> tell more CDs than you today. And off, yeah. <laughs> But it was really easy to find. I know it was really easy to find a, a place that sold records. They were just everywhere. Yeah, and, and now they're, they're nowhere. It's really. But bizarre. now it's gone completely the other way. And and when you think about London, which is you know where Mark and I live, and you're not there at the moment, but you know you normally spend a lot of time there. Yeah. And you know people say because I tweeted this, I said, can anybody think of a record shop in North London that would have been there in the early seventies? And and people scratched around, and there was the odd suggestion, but nobody was very sure. And then people said, "Well, you won't find any shops that would have been there in the early seventies, you know." And which I understand, retail landscapes massively change. But I started That's thinking so about, untrue. There's lots of them. Well, if you look, particularly yeah. in the West End of London, particularly yeah, yeah, in the yeah. centre of London. So now I know the world of bookshops has massively changed, but. 
Foils is still there. But, you know, but these are big destination yep. bookshops. Hatchards in Piccadilly. Stanford's. Stanford's uh, the, the, the specialty um, travel and map shop. Haywood Hill in in in, uh, in Mayfair is still there. And those are probably just a few of them. If you think about food shops, Fortnum's is obviously still there. It's been, it's been there since the 18th century. Yeah, it's, 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 it was in the 1700s, wasn't it? Incredible. Paxton, it... Paxton, do you know, Alex? I thought you, with your vegan hat on, might know Paxton and Whitfield. Do you know Paxton and Whitfield? No, they me. are they are London's uh, longest uh, longest running cheese business. Oh really? Yes. So you know when this bloody war is over and you know you can come back into the capital, you'll be able to go and gorge yourself, Paxton Whitfield. I don't uh, Lock and Co. Hatters hasn't that been there since? Oh, I mean, they're all seventeen sixty-five or something. It was founded I, in sixteen. I got. I was given a hat from there only a few years ago. Because if you go to Lock and Co, you, you can be reminded that Lord Nelson and Oscar Wilde uh, would have been in the same in the same shop and bought hats there. Well, that's pretty good, isn't it? They've got the uh, if you go into Lock and Co, and they're a lovely, lovely shop. And very often, if you go into these places in, in St James's, which is where they tend to be, you know that they're, they're always you know the oldest shirt maker or yeah, yeah. whatever. They tend to be very welcoming, you know, because they know that their job is to kind of sell their brand and sell their their history and i think if you go into locking co they have the um the hat whatever you call the um the equivalent of a shoemaker's last the shape of a head yeah they, they've got the hat the the shape for like charlie chaplin and and uh and lawrence of arabia and all these kind of people who were once who were once clients of them so that's that's been going for years. And and I love the old umbrella shop. Was that a beautiful umbrella shop in Hobart? Fabulous. Well, this is it, James Smith. Uh, the umbrella shop. Yeah. If you can now, I know rain has never gone away in in London, and I know an umbrella is never going to be something you're going to buy online. But if you can keep a a fabulous umbrella shop going in the West End of London, why the hell can't somebody keep one fabulous record shop going? That that draws tourists and visitors to the to the um, to the the centre of town. That's the thing that I find amazing. I mean, I know loads of record shops are really going to go out of business, but I would have thought that it would have been two or three prestige survivors. But half the problem is just the width of of the of the catalogue, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. You can, can you always guarantee that? I mean, I totally agree with you. But can you guarantee to have something? An umbrella is an umbrella, isn't it? Yeah. So what kind of records do you stop? But it's, it's interesting. At a tangent, it just struck me that um, were there anything, any items that you that completely went out of the frame? The video cassette is one, I think, possibly. It's oh, almost yeah. gone now. The video cassette, isn't it? I mean, you can't really play it. You can't even get the machines to play it. So you think of the of the great era of blockbuster. So there were there were video shops everywhere, and the DVD shops kind of that's that's disappearing, isn't it? DVD you know, you don't see any watch menders really. You don't not don't see so many cobblers. You don't see any camera shops. You know, CD, no, certainly. I, I would wager CD players are going out as well. I noticed actually not so long ago that I don't have a CD player anymore anywhere. Oh, uh, mine mine has started misfiring after after a, I've had a long time, and I'm I've decided I'm going to have to replace it. 
But also, um, computers are being made without the CD drives. Yeah, they are. They are. We got my my sister a DVD uh, for for Christmas last year, and I could see by the expression on her face, which was she was trying to kind of look upbeat about it. I suddenly realised <laughs> she doesn't have a DVD player. She's got nothing she can play it on. So oh, she's just being polite. I yeah. Know. So in my survey of um, of shops that remain in London. Uh, do you know, you do know, you'll walk past this place loads of times, Mark. I certainly had done, but I hadn't been in there until about a year or so ago. Do you know Arthur Beale, which is yes. on... Sh you do know it, do you? Yeah, I do know it, yeah. It's yeah. opposite Endeavour House where... It's the Chandlers, you know, isn't it? It's a ship's Chandlers. Ship's Chandlers. Now, that, Arthur Beale was founded something like 500 years ago. <laughs> they can it? trace it back to some yeah. kind of business. <laughs> it wasn't that, that was actual make, shop, but yeah. Making ropes 500 years ago. Isn't that amazing? And do you know why they're there? I think this is why they're there. Because my, my um, son-in-law uh, works in the theatre and, uh, and the film business. And he told me he'd had to go there. And he says, it's on the edge of Covent Garden. I said, why the hell should a ship's chandler be on the edge of Covent Garden? You know, it's a place you can go in and buy, buy an anchor, probably. <laughs> you know, and also think for life on the ocean wave. And uh, he said, the reason is that they also supply all the ropes and pulleys and all the devices that you use backstage in the theatre business. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Which is, which yeah. is perfectly makes sense, you know what I mean? It would be the right smack in the heart of it, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, all, it's all, you know, it's the same, uh, same technology involved in backstage of the theatre as involved in, a, in an ocean-going yacht. <laughs> I'd never thought of that before. So I went in there with my wife as a teacher who wanted a piece of rope that she could demonstrate knots to children on. So we went into Arthur Beale and we're able to find one. So if Arthur Beale can still sustain a business is in the West End of London, somebody should be doing something similar to a record shop. Um, do, you remember, do you remember in Stella Street, the, uh, the, they had a wonderful episode where they had a, 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 a chandlering shop run by Keith and Mick. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. It's called yeah. Some Like It Yacht yeah. for all your chandlering needs. <laughs> Some Mick Jagger <laughs> taking a the stones had gone bust and he was now working in the shop. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what else we gotta talk about? Um any other business, Alex? We gotta do cover. The, uh, uh, documenting the best music books of 2020, haven't we? On, on, on... Uh, we have. Oh yeah, we have, that's right. We've chosen our, chosen 10, our top ten, and uh, we're plugging each of them individually. They're yeah. really good. They're, yeah. What a great year it's been for music books. Fabulous. Yeah. So uh, it might be the kind of thing you want to you want to point a generous relative in the direction of to make sure all your Christmas present needs are taken care of. Anything else we got to say? Uh, we've also upgraded the quiz. Oh God! <laughs> we should definitely mention that. Yes. Well, as in with, now with added pork pie, do you mean? Well, yeah, two things going on in Quizland. One is we've gone all pictorial, which appears to have gone down well. Indeed. Um, albeit involving me and more work, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and the other thing is by the very kind officers of Sarah Pedigree of Brace Cottage, excellent pork pies, were able to offer a prize for our end of the year winner of the quiz, yeah? So this is a person who's at the head of our leaderboard as we go into Christmas. 
that there will be a very special pork pie winging its way. <laughs> if pork pies wing, yes, it's going to wing, we it's, gonna wing its way uh, to you in time for Christmas. So, uh, you know, it may be too late for you to get your name among the leaders, but uh, you might like to join for, um, for future reference. You know, if you're a Patreon supporter, you're in a position to do that. And if you want to know more about Patreon, uh, just go to patreon.com slash word in your ear and all the details are there. Is that all? I believe, I believe it I is. I think we're there. I think we've cracked it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.